So let's read from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. This is God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Uh, let's pray. Uh, let's ask God to help us through this passage. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we have your word uh, that your word is uh, the truth on which we can um, stand, on which we can build our lives, knowing that it's the solid uh, foundation. Uh, and we thank you that your word points us to uh, where real hope is found, uh, not in the things of this earth, but in the Lord Jesus. And so we pray that you would lead us by your spirit to him, uh, that we would put our faith in him, that we would follow him. And we ask it in his name. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, just after, uh, over a week ago, the nation woke to the shock news uh, of the death of an Australian icon uh, in Shane Warne. Uh, Shane Warne's passing, 52 years old. Uh, I have to admit, when I saw that headline, I was uh, quite shocked. Uh, grew up watching Warney, uh, watching him take all those wickets. I uh, was a big fan of his uh, cricketing. Um, but he, you know, he was a man. Uh, he had so much going for him. He was gone in an instant. It was a big shock. And ever since, the media has been uh, filled with headlines and stories about uh, good old Warney. And one story that really caught my attention was uh, that he was actually about to build what he was calling a family escape down at Portsea. Uh, back in 2020, uh, Warney bought a 4,000 metre um, block of land for $4 million uh, at Portsea. And this year was the year he was going to begin building this mega mansion, $5 million it was going to cost. And it was complete with a, a gym, theatre, games room, library, bowling alley, jet ski port, three car garage, pool, music room, wine cellar and observation deck. Sounds fantastic. Uh, and so all that success in cricket and in advertisements and all these other ventures had really set Warney up to have this, this wonderful family escape, somewhere where he could go and enjoy life, where he could spend the rest of his days relaxing on the beach of Portsea. But he never got to enjoy a single day of it. His life was suddenly taken away. And see, this story, it caught my attention because it actually has quite a few similarities uh, to the story that Jesus told 
uh, in Luke chapter 12. This is a story of a man with great wealth, a man whose life was cut short suddenly, a man who didn't get to enjoy all that he had worked hard for. But see, Jesus tells us this story uh, not just because you know, he knows we like to hear about the lives of the rich and famous. No, Jesus tells us this story because there's actually a danger with wealth for us. Wealth is actually a danger to us. I mean, wealth and possessions in and of themselves are good. They're good gifts from God. We can enjoy these things with thanksgiving. And yet, even though they are a good gift, there's always a danger in them to think that these are the things that life is really about, that these are the things that will make us complete. You know, just for example, uh, what, what Shane Warne was planning to build is a very attractive lifestyle. I have to admit, when I go down to Portsea and I see these massive houses with those perfectly manicured gardens and the most terrific view overlooking the bay, I have to admit, they are a beautiful thing. But I can't help looking at those things and at the same time thinking, you know, my house in comparison is pretty ordinary. And all of a sudden, my life in comparison feels a little bit empty, like I'm missing out. And so the temptation is to assume, when, when you see these things, the temptation is to assume that that's what, that's what will make life feel complete, will make you feel full. And so we can easily assume that this is what life is about, that life is about getting more stuff, nice stuff. Well, Jesus teaches on this subject. He gives us first a warning, he gives us a story, and he gives us a lesson. See, warning, story, lesson. Let's, let's look at these. First, the warning. Now, he tells the warning because, well, he actually gets interrupted. Jesus, he was talking about eternal realities. He's talking about what it means to follow him, uh, about how one day we're all going to stand before the judge, and on that day will we be acknowledged by Jesus or will we be disowned by Jesus? And so these are some huge, serious matters. Eternal reality. And there's a man in the crowd whose mind is elsewhere. He's thinking about something that's really got on his goat. That the inheritance, uh, verse 13, someone in the crowd said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Um, seem, to this guy, this is a more pressing matter. We don't know his story. Maybe uh, he was. Um, maybe he had a brother who got the lot, and he was feeling hard done by. Maybe his brother even swindled him out of the inheritance. Maybe he had a valid case. We don't know his story, but he seemed to think Jesus is a man of influence. Jesus can use some of that influence to help him get what he wants, and so he interrupts Jesus. And Jesus takes this interruption and he uses it to reinforce the very thing he has been talking about, about eternal realities, about getting the right perspective on life in light of the end. <clears throat> and so Jesus says to him in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, Jesus is saying he didn't come for this reason. He didn't come to settle petty disputes. He came for a much bigger purpose. As Luke tells us, the purpose 
to seek and to save. That's what Jesus came for, to seek and to save the lost. He came and he, he came to open the kingdom of God to men and women and boys and girls. That's why he's here. And yet here's a man who has the Saviour in his midst, who has the door open to the kingdom, and he's in danger of missing out. Why? Because he's got his own little kingdom going. And in his own little kingdom, getting that inheritance is everything. And Jesus knows that this man is not unique in the crowd. He knows that this squabble over an inheritance has just brought out into the open what resides in many hearts. And so Jesus gives a warning about the danger of wealth. Verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So the warning is against all covetousness. Okay, it's sometimes translated as greed. Uh, covetousness, it just means wanting more. And Jesus is talking about all covetousness or all kinds of covetousness. You know, wanting more stuff, wanting more money, wanting more possessions, wanting more pleasure. You know, the classic definition of covetousness regarding money is when one of the richest men of all time, J.D. Rockefeller, was once asked, how much money is enough? And he famously replied, just a little bit more. See, wanting more, that's what happens in the human heart. And it's called covetousness. And Jesus says about covetousness, take care or watch out. He says, be on your guard. And see, those phrases, this take care, watch out, be on your guard, they're the sort of phrases that you only use when there's a hidden danger, when there's something going on that you might not be aware of unless someone told you. You know, when you sometimes go for a drive, uh, we just went to Falls Creek, and so every now and then you go past a cliff and there's signs saying, watch out for falling rocks. You know, it says, don't park your car under a cliff. Um, or you might go to a beach where everything looks calm, but then you see a sign, watch out, unpredictable waves. See, there's a hidden danger. And Jesus is saying, here's another hidden danger. It resides deep in the human heart. It's one that you may have never noticed. Maybe going on, you might have never noticed. All kinds of covetousness. That desire for more. No, because Jesus is saying, watch out. That means we're likely doing this without even realizing. And that, so that's the warning. And Jesus says the reason for the warning is because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And right there is a statement that is completely at odds with our, what our culture says. This is the very opposite of what our culture says. Life's Life does not consist in the abundance of possession. Our culture says, that's wrong. It does. That's what life is about. Uh, for example, remember those Toyota ads um, not too long ago where uh, someone, you know, they get the new car and they go around saying, still feeling it. 
I'm still feeling it. Now, a new car gives you that feeling. I remember when we bought our um, current car. Uh, that's the first time we bought a brand new car. And when I brought it home, we all just sat in it. Uh, you know, seven people sitting in a car that's going nowhere. It's kind of embarrassing to admit. Um, but it, because it gives you a feeling. A feeling. And, and do you know, I got the same feeling on my 40th birthday when I got this new guitar. And I can tell you that still feeling, it lasted a whole lot longer with the guitar than it did with the Toyota. Um, but eventually that feeling it wears off. It always does. And when it wears off, what do you do? You go looking for it somewhere else. So, you know, you upgrade your car, you buy another guitar, which I did, uh, <laughs> and the feeling comes back, but not as long this time. But see, if you listen to all the clever marketing that's constantly in your face, it will make you think that if I upgrade to something higher, if I spend more, if I get something that's just a little bit more kitted out, a little bit more luxurious, then that feeling will last longer. I will feel more satisfied. Now, have you ever noticed that the um, advertisements are rarely about facts, they're about feelings. That's why the, the, the slogan, satisfaction guaranteed, that's what we're looking for. And see, that's the drive of our Western culture. We're conditioned to be consumers constantly looking for that next high, which, which means we're like addicts. You know, we're stuck in this endless cycle of wanting more, getting a hit, but not being satisfied, wanting more again. And so as a result, it really doesn't matter how much we have in life, we always feel like there is a whole host of things that we feel like we need. And they're things that are just out of grasp. You know, they're, they're just that little bit too expensive. And we think if we just work a little bit harder, then eventually we'll get them. And then finally then, we'll still be feeling it. But it never satisfies. It doesn't last. Still feeling it always ends. And uh, Jesus says that the culture is actually not the cause of this endless striving. The culture isn't the cause. It's actually, it comes out of our hearts. It's all kinds of covetousness. It comes when you fall for the lie that life is about this, that life is about getting more stuff. You know, Solomon nailed it thousands of years ago. This is why I read from Ecclesiastes 5. Because Solomon said, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And do you see the problem with covetousness? It's not just that it puts us on this empty pursuit where we can never be satisfied. You know, that's obviously a problem. But the real problem with covetousness is that it puts you in opposition to the one true God in whom life is to be found. And the reason I say that is because in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul, when he's talking about covetousness, he says it is, it is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. And idolatry means you're worshipping an idol. An idol is something in your life that replaces God. 
And so that means that whatever it is that you covet after, whatever it is that you just want more of, that's actually your God. That's what you're worshipping. You can't worship God and money. And so that's the warning. It's a pretty big warning. Well, to help us see how foolish it is to live for the abundance of possessions, Jesus then tells a story. Uh, We've had the warning, now the story. So verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So here we have a story of a businessman who invested into farming and he had a terrific year. Uh, He's so successful in that year that uh, he decides to store it all up for himself and that way he can retire early. He can sit back. He can spend the rest of his life enjoying all that he had earned. And so this is really the story of someone who the world holds up as a success. This is the one the world says, you need to look to that guy. You need to follow his example. He is the one we should emulate because this is what success is all about. Most people would congratulate this man for his resourcefulness. And then God steps into his life and says, you're nothing but a big fool. Why does God do that? Why does God say he's a fool? And there are actually three reasons that are brought out in the way Jesus tells the story. So let's go back through it. The first reason God says this man is a fool is because he believed he was the cause of his wealth. See, everything the man does, everything he thinks, and we get to hear his thoughts, it all assumes that he is the self-made man, that he is the one who has caused all of his success. Uh, Did you notice how many times the word I was used? You know, I will do this, I will do that. What shall I do? It's all about, he's just thinking, it's it's all his own doing. But the story actually begins by saying, not that the man produced a great um, plentiful crop, but the land, the land of a, a rich man produced plentifully. And, and so right there we see, you know, you can sow, you can um, plant, you can fertilise, you can do all of these things, you can work really hard, but unless it um, rains, unless the sun shines, all of that hard work is going to come to nothing. It's going to end up as a loss, not profit. And that's actually true in, in every circumstance. If you have a look at, at what you have in life, And if you really stop and think about it, all the good things you enjoy, all the wealth you have, has far more to do with what you have received than what you have worked for. That's true of every single person. So, you know, just stop and think, hang on, who gave you a body that functions? 
who gave you abilities to do things, who, gave, who, who put you in the time and place in which you were born, who gave you the opportunities and resources for you to use. Where did all that come from? It didn't come from you. You produced none of that. That's all a gift from God. We are never the cause of our wealth. God is. Only a fool can't see that. But second, God calls this man a fool, not just because he thinks he's the cause of his wealth, but also because he thinks he is the goal of his wealth. And again, that comes out in the story uh, with this, the use of the word my. You know, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul. So in his mind, there's only one thing that matters. Me. <laughs> it's all mine. All for me. I, me, me, mine. Uh, he has no thought of others. And so he's not only the self-made man, he's the self-centered man. He's the self-absorbed man. He's the guy who thinks that life is nothing more than maximizing personal pleasure and minimizing personal pain. Third, he's a fool, not only because he thinks he's the source of his wealth and the goal of his wealth, but he thinks he is secure in his wealth. And that comes out in verse 19, where he has a little chat to himself and he says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So what's the assumption behind that? The assumption is, now that I have money, I'm safe. I'm secure. I can enjoy a long life. I'm provided for. See, because he had ample goods, he thought he was in control of his future. And so he's the classic case of the self-sufficient man. And so here we have this self-made, self-centered, self-sufficient man who has everything planned out, ready to enjoy that long, relaxing retirement. But there was one fatal flaw in his grand plan. One thing that he didn't factor in, and that is that his life was about to end. It was about to end. Verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, this man gave no thought to the end. He was living for the here and now. Everything he built his life on, everything that mattered to him, you know, his comfort, his security, his identity, his status, his goods, all of this stuff, it was gone in an instant, right at that point where his heart stopped beating. That was it. All stripped away. Couldn't take a single bit of it with him. All that he worked for, it came to nothing. You know, God says the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The answer, it doesn't matter, because <laughs> it's not his. But the main reason this guy was a fool is because he had no thought to what happens after death. No thought to the God that he would face. No thought to the eternity that he would have to endure. Because when God says to him, your soul is required of you, that word required, it's actually an accounting term. This is God calling the man to account. 
God is saying that the day has come for you to give an account of what you did with your life, to give an account of what you did with the things I entrusted to you. What did you do with them? Did you squander them all on yourself? See, the day of reckoning has come. Do you know, sadly, a lot of people like this man realise all of this when it's too late. We learn too late that self-made, self-centred, self-sufficient, that's all an illusion. It's all a foolish mistake. We're not self-made. We are made by God. We're not to be self-centred. We are to centre our lives on God. We're not self-sufficient. We depend on God for everything. The very breath in our lungs, God can take that away in an instant. We are all dependent on God. And see, that's actually what life is about. That's why God created us. To know Him. To live centred on Him. To worship Him. To enjoy Him. To serve Him. That's why we were created. But the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says in his heart, if there is a God, I'll get onto that another day. Because right now I've got a lot more important things to do. See, really, the single biggest mistake this fool made was actually to postpone getting right with God. Maybe he thought, plenty of time for that. Now, in that day, people in that culture, they all believed in God. But this guy thought, I'll deal with that later. Maybe he thought, just give me a few years into retirement. When I'm lying in my hammock, enjoying the bay view, then I will have time to go, okay, God, what, what do you want from me? What have I got to do? But his preoccupation with his wealth meant that he never gave any thought to that until it was far too late. Do you know, uh, in, in his book, um, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis imagines that the devil's number one strategy for preventing you from giving your life to Christ is not to convince you that there's no heaven. The devil doesn't try to convince you that there's no hell because he knows that won't work. His number one strategy to convince you not to follow Jesus is to tell you that there's no hurry, that there's plenty of time later, that right now there's some more important things going on. And do you realise the covetousness in your heart will convince you that the devil is right? That right now I've got to get more stuff. Right now that's where my life is focused. And God says that is a fool. Well, Jesus finishes this section with a lesson. And the lesson is in verse 21, which just goes... So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So the lesson is that this story applies to everyone. We all need to look at this man and go, hang on, is that me? Is this a picture of me? Storing up for myself, thinking that all the things I have in life are for me. Or are you rich toward God? <clears throat> See, Jesus is saying, if you're, if you're laying up treasure for yourself and you're not rich toward God, then you are living foolishly and you are in great danger. 
And he's not telling you this to condemn you. He's telling you this so that you can do something about it. So that you can make a change. He's telling you this so you can stop living as though life was all about getting more stuff. He's telling you this so you can stop spending everything you've got on yourself. So that you can repent, that you can start being uh, rich toward God. Rich toward God, what does that mean? How can we be rich toward God? Well, Jesus, he doesn't actually tell us here. He does tell us in the next passage, and we are going to come back next week, God willing, and look at that. Uh, but I'll just give you a hint now. Uh, to be rich towards God, it's actually the same as storing up treasure in heaven. So you can either store up treasure for yourself or store up treasure in heaven, which must mean something to do with investing in things that lasts into eternity. So we're rich toward God when we give generously, when we support the work of the gospel, when we give to missions, when we help people with needs, when we share our possessions with others. See, those sort of things have eternal value. Jesus, he is actually calling us to a life of generosity. To look at all the things we have and go, they're not actually mine. God's entrusted them to me so that I can use them to bless others. Jesus is calling us to generosity, a generosity that will, will actually eat into our retirement. See, being rich toward God, it's, it's actually to be in a relationship with God where you say to God, all that I am and all that I have, it's yours. I belong to you. My stuff is at your disposal. I give my soul, my life, my all to you. Now, how do you become like that? How do you become rich toward God? And the answer is there's only one way. It's when you realise how rich God has been toward you. When you realise that in Christ you have the true riches, then it frees you to give away earthly riches. Uh, Jesus, remember, he, he's, he's there in the crowd. He's, he's opening the kingdom to people. People who are squabbling over inheritance miss it. But here he is, he's opening the kingdom. What does it cost Jesus to give the kingdom? What does it cost? It cost Jesus everything. He poured out his, his soul, his life, his all on the cross so that we can have the riches of his kingdom. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Paul describes the gospel like a transaction. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Is Jesus talking about money? No, he's talking about salvation. See, the, the, the reality is, <clears throat> we've all lived to one degree or another like the man in the parable, taking the things God has given us and squandering them. We've all lived like that to one degree or another. And so if God was to call us to account, what have we got to say? Can we boast, yes, I have done all that you required? None of us can. We all stand condemned. 
in and of ourselves. <clears throat> and yet what uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 is saying is that God, rather than making us pay for that, he sent his own son into the world who paid the debt in our place. He gave up his riches. He gave up everything. He gave up his life, his blood, to pay for all that we've done wrong so that we can be forgiven, so that we can be made rich, rich eternally, rich in salvation, rich in the kingdom of God. And see, these are the riches that the world knows nothing about. These are the riches that you cannot earn, the riches that you cannot achieve through, through your own efforts. They're only received as a gift. These are the riches that cost the precious blood of Christ. And see, when you have these riches, the true riches, the, the ones that can't be stripped away at death, the ones that death means just enter more into, when you have those riches and you look at them, when you survey them, all the earthly riches seem pretty meaningless now. They're not, that's not what life is about. No, no, I have Christ. I have the pearl of great price. And the more you look at that and the more you, the more you embrace that in your heart, that's actually what will free you from covetousness. It will free you to give yourself fully to God, to say, all that I am, my soul, my life, my all, it's all yours, God. Use me. Use my stuff to bless others. Do you know all of this, it's captured so well, this idea, you, you become rich toward God when you realise the riches you have in Christ. It's captured so well in that song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Now, Isaac Watts, he must have been reflecting on uh, Jesus' teaching uh, on wealth. And he, he wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and poor contempt on all my pride. What's the pride? Self-made, self-centred, self-sufficient. I hate that now. That's not life. And he finishes the song by saying, when I see the love of Christ, and when Christ died in my place, he writes, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Rich toward God. <clears throat> Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is found in Christ, the true riches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, this, this teaching, uh, this uh, parable. Uh, Lord, we, we realise that it's, it's not comfortable uh, yeah, we all have some um, reflection to do uh, at home and this week. Lord, help us to not miss this opportunity to do some real heart searching. We pray that your spirit would enable us to see all of the places where we have lost sight of eternity, all the, all the areas in our lives where we're living as though life is all about getting more stuff. And Father, we pray um, yeah, we ask that you would forgive us for doing this. Lord, forgive us for how much we've squandered 
how many opportunities we've missed because we haven't even been looking. But Father, we thank you for the true riches that are ours in Christ. We thank you for the fact that we can look to that day when you will call us to account, that day when we'll have nothing to stand of our own, but we have the righteousness of Christ and we know that in him we're safe forever. Lord, help us to reflect more on that so that that frees us from loving the things of this world. Uh, we pray that we, as a result, would be people who are generous, people who, who love to share, who love to support, uh, who love to give. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>